Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. And uh, I'm very excited to open up a little bit from Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to it. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to pray, and we'll dive right in. Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you would, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you've given us Jesus, that you've given us all of him, that right now we're lost in the ocean of his love, we know nothing but his pleasure. Right now, Holy Spirit, you're crying out, Abba, Father, in us. You're pointing us to Jesus, our King, who is on his heavenly throne, who watches over us, who keeps us safe. And one day he will give us everything, and we will reign and rule with him forever. But as we, as we look at this passage, we're in desperate need of, of the Holy Spirit to make this come alive. So we beg you, Father and Son, to use your spirit in unique and special ways this morning that we may be full of you, Lord Jesus, and able to live in you this week. And we pray this in your blessed name. Amen. In my work with City to City, as I get to travel around various regions of the world, I travel between 130 to 150 days a year. It's too much. Now, there's some of you I've been meeting you, you travel almost as much, and it's, it's hard, right? It's stressful, it's arduous, it's disorienting. It's, it's almost impossible to get into regular routines and patterns. I really do want to eat better. I really do want to exercise more. But when you're going from city to city, it's kind of a hard time to figure out where to get that exercise in, much less um, when the comfort of food is right there in front of you. It's so hard to say no. But you know, I'm married. I have a 17 year old son and 11 year old daughter, and so I'm. I, when I'm home, I'm trying to spend time with them. When I'm on the road, I'm trying to maximize time with amazing couples like this. And I find myself often a little disconnected, a little disjointed from Jesus myself. Here I am running around the world representing him, recognizing there's home fires in my own heart that need to be tended. So very recently, in the midst of all my travel, there I was feeling a little dry and, and disoriented. And so I was like, okay, I'm on a flight. I'm in India. It's okay. I'm just going to open up my Bible, and I'm not holding the Bible out because I don't want to get out it. So I'm on my iPad, right? And so here we are. I'm just reading the scriptures. I, I'm begging Jesus to show up. And as I'm reading it, the Holy Spirit shows up. I'm literally moved to tears. I have this overwhelming sense of God's love pour over me, and then I can't stop crying. And it's not the simple tears that you can kind of wipe away. It's that ugly cry where I'm like making noises, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on the emergency row. The guys next to me are like, what is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> it's almost like making a scene, and I couldn't stop it. But I didn't want it to stop. 
It's nothing I deserved. It's not typical of my Christian life, but it was renewing. It was recalibrating. It was fresh air. There in my sin, in my misery, in my frustration, in my disjointedness, God was just gracious that afternoon, and he gave me an overwhelming sense of his love. Now let's just pause there for a second. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the love of God? When was the last time you were undone by the Holy Spirit pressing upon your heart the magnitude of all that you have in Jesus? When's the last time the Holy Spirit showed up in your weakness, not your strength, in your brokenness, not your triumphs, in your self-sufficiency, in your pride, in your, in your will, and he reoriented you to see the beauty and the sufficiency of all that you have in Christ? When's the last time he was burning deep within you? that all-consuming God. When's the last time you experienced him to such a degree that your words began to, they fail you in trying to capture that experience? There's a guy named Blaise Pascal. He's been dead for a very, very long time, but a very thoughtful philosopher of his time. And in 1654, on November 23rd, he had a very similar experience. My experience was like a shadow to what he experienced with God that day. And this amazing learned philosopher who's written so many foundational works to modern thought couldn't write sentences anymore. Uh, his paragraphs turned into haiku and then just rambling words. And as he was trying to describe what God did, he said stuff like fire, period. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers or of the learned. Which, which is what he is. And then, he's, and then it's just all haiku time. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I won't keep reading it. But it's beautiful, right? When the love of God comes pressing upon you, your words cannot capture the beauty of what's happening in that moment. This prayer we look at, Ephesians 3, Paul is creating a problem for us. He's challenging to bridge the gap between what we know about Jesus and what we experience about Jesus. Paul wants us to actually experience what we believe. Now, Paul's prayer exposes our default mode. We're actually, sadly, way too comfortable between that chasm. We live in this world, we know a lot about Jesus. We can write books about it, or at least a paper, or maybe at least a paragraph. But we, we have certain ideas that he's God, and he's king, and that he loves us, yet rarely do we experience the weight of that deep within us. So we're comfortable to have a life with Christ, but a life without the power of Christ. We have his immeasurable love and power completely at our disposal, but we're comfortable not drawing upon. And what's beautiful about this passage is Paul offers us a remedy, and it's spiritual renewal. If I could define it for us, spiritual renewal is experiencing the immeasurable wealth of the love and grace of Jesus in your deepest parts by the power of his Holy Spirit. So briefly this day, we're going to look at four things. A paradigm for spiritual renewal, the problem of spiritual renewal, the practice of spiritual renewal, and the power of spiritual renewal. So i just let you know I'm, I'm a Presbyterian, and so I have to alliterate. So if, the, if that was a little too cheesy for you, I'm so sorry. I know it's not very urban of me, but it is what it is. All right, so the paradigm for spiritual renewal. Look at verse 16. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may be grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, this is really helpful, this one little verse. The destination of spiritual renewal is your inner being. I mean, it's the deepest part of you. The origination of spiritual renewal is the wealth of God's grace. The means of spiritual renewal is the Holy Spirit, and the outcome of spiritual renewal is the strength of power. So what does that look like? Well, as we build this paradigm of spiritual renewal out, here's the first thing I want you to see. Spiritual renewal is experiencing the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. It's experiencing the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, on one level, you have the fullness of God. That's just objective truth. When Jesus died for you, he didn't give you half of himself or three-quarters of himself, but rather you have a union with him. You're magically and mystically intertwined with him. Actually, as Paul put it in Ephesians, uh, Colossians 3, your life is hidden inside of him right now. You've lived with him, you've died with him, you've risen with him, you've all of him. So then what on earth is Paul referring to? Paul is not talking about the objective amount of Jesus you have, but he's rather talking about the influence and the persuasion of the Holy Spirit in your life. So let's just be honest with ourselves for a second. Just to take a little inventory, a little stock, and think about those who know you the best. Would they say, or do, would they see Jesus in you on a regular basis? Are they seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit clearly evident in your life? Would they see the Spirit is emanating out of you in the forms of joy and peace and love? Do they see the Spirit invading your life and impacting your decisions? Spiritual renewal is experiencing the pervasive influence of the Holy Spirit. But as we kind of work out this passage, the second thing as we're building out this paradigm is spiritual renewal is the, an existential enjoyment of God's love. Look at verse 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, we like to make knowledge rational. You know, that way we can codify it, define it, put it in a box, have categories. But the Bible tends to be far more holistic. When it talks about knowledge, it talks about the bifurcation we've created. It slams it back together. It talks about our hearts and our mind. Uh, a few years ago when Fatty Bow opened, I had a bunch of you guys, you know, going, we got to go to Fatty Bow, we got to go to Fatty Bow. I'm like, Fatty Bow? This sounds horrible. I mean, like, why do I want to go to a place that has Fatty in the title? And they're like, Rue, just chill out, dude. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. I was like, all right. So we went. And then we sat down, and then uh, the person I was with was like, okay, we got to get these bows, we got to get the pork belly one. And there's this, like, there's this lamb, this Masamam lamb's curry. You just got to eat this stuff. And they went on and on and on about it. And so I was like, okay, whatever. And so there's one thing for me to be introduced to the concept of fatty bow. There's another thing for me to be told about the entrees that I had to eat. But there's a whole other thing to hold that pork belly bow and then to taste it. There was a whole other thing to understand how good that lamb curry and rice was. But there was another experience than just to actually devour it and want more and more and more. What about us when it comes to the gospel? What, what about us when it comes to the grace and love of Jesus? It may flow from our lips when we talk about it, but does it flow from our hearts? 
Are we presently experiencing what we expound? Are we experiencing the beauty of Jesus in our deepest parts? Is it like mathematics or a bow? Does that make sense? That's why the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because spiritual renewal is the existential enjoyment of God's love. His love is meant to be tasted, enjoyed, experienced, devoured by his people. Finally, the little third aspect, if we're building out a paradigm from spiritual renewal in this passage, we see that spiritual renewal is seizing the magnitude of God's love in Christ. Again, verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Now, power to comprehend. Comprehend sounds like one of those, again, cognitive words, right? But if you actually look at the Greek, I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's the power to grasp. It's a proactive verb. It's something you do. If you were to look it up in a lexicon, it's something you explore and you trace out and you personalize for yourself. So let's play that game. What does it look like for us to explore and trace out the love of God? Paul gives us hints. He talks about the breath of God's love. Now, what could that be? It might be what the psalmist was referring to in Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As Ryan and Rachel reminded us this morning, we are completely forgiven. Our sins are way over here, and we're way over here. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we've been completely forgiven. Or think about the length of God's love. It reminds me of Philippians 1. He who began a good work for you will bring it to completion. You see, Jesus, when he began something in you, he will finish. He, he, he predates us, and he's inviting us into our eternal life with us, and there's no end to his goodness for us, and he's going to stick with us forever. But as I began to think about the breadth and the length, I've been recently just struck by the depth of God's love. How deep, how low did Jesus go? Where on the cross, we see that lowest place. And on one level on the cross, it was horrific, right? Rachel described it for us. You know, he was hung on a tree, and he was beaten, and he was bloody, and he had thorns, and he couldn't breathe, and his lungs were filling up with blood. But that was a fraction of the agony he was experiencing in that moment. Invisible to every human eye, there was another punishment going on. And for the first time in Jesus' life, his father turned his face from him. For the first time in his life, he couldn't experience the love and mercy and generosity of his father. For the only time in his life, the father looked down upon him and hurled wrath upon him. You see, what's marvelous about the cross is on the cross, Jesus literally took the clothing of our sin and shame and wore it. He just didn't identify with us. He took all our sin and put it on his back and shoulders. And then on the cross, the Father looked upon Jesus and punished him and not us. The cross, the crucifixion, is nothing compared to experiencing the wrath of his heavenly Father. But because he wore 
our sin and shame and the punishment that went with it. He gives us his robes of righteousness. And that's why we are declared forgiven. And that's why God is satisfied with us. And that's why God can't get enough of us. Because all that separated us from the Father was taken care of in Jesus. So there's a breadth, there's a length, there's a depth. But think of the height of God's love. 2 Peter 1 talks about the glory we're going to partake with Jesus. The one day we will reign and rule with him in heaven. The one day our bodies will be fully glorified and we're going to inherit his kingdom. If you look at the scriptures, we're going to reign with him. He's sharing his inheritance with us. This is something we're supposed to seize, to enjoy, to trace out, to daydream over to get lost in. Spiritual renewal involves seizing the magnitude of God's love for you. Okay, then we've looked at this paradigm. We took five minutes to do it, but it creates a problem for us, right? Oh my gosh, I'm supposed to enjoy this. I'm supposed to seize this. I'm supposed to get lost in this. Why doesn't it happen? So I want to just take a few moments to talk about the problem of spiritual renewal. Why don't we experience it very often? First, it's busyness. It's like tanking up on junk food. You don't realize you're really hungry. We keep ourselves so busy, or sometimes the city keeps us so busy, and then on top of that, we keep ourselves so busy with all the things we do, we just never settle down long enough to seize and trace out the magnitude of God's love. And just like junk food, when you snack it all day, you're not hungry for the good stuff you're supposed to eat that evening, right? Busyness works the same way. We can feel like we've been productive, We've been resourceful. We've done all these great things. We're busy from the moment we woke up till we go to sleep. But what we didn't do that day is rest in the love of Jesus and seize his love. But for some of us, it's not busyness. It's comfort. In a hard city like Mumbai, we crave it. We obsess over it. And we find different things to it. Mine's not that obvious. My waistline tells me, you know where I find comfort? Like when, the, when I need to, to just rub off the edge of the hardness of life instead of running to Jesus. And when I'm in India, I go find butter, chicken, and none. Because it's way better here than it is in the United States. And it doesn't matter where I go. I mean, even hotel butter chicken is way better than what I get in the U.S. And so I'm just constantly eating. So busyness, comfort. For some of us, it's just our ambition. We obsess over things. Our image, the way we carry ourselves, the way we dress, our success, our career paths. There's things we just crave with our ambition and we just got to have. And since we're so filled with those things, the worship of those things, that leaves very little time for Jesus. So some of us, it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's control. It's sometimes nice to make Christianity something that's intellectual so we can put it in a box and check the box and know like we're doing it right. So if we, if we make Christianity not mystical, if we make it doctrinal, then we can control it. And then it's a status quo thing. It's a false substitute to enjoying the depths of God's love. But for some of us, it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's not control. It's just unbelief. We, you, you really do love Jesus. He really has come into your life and brought his love and grace. The Holy Spirit really is inside of you, but you don't really believe spiritual renewal is possible. 
You're just filled with so much unbelief that you can actually experience the magnitude of God's love, and it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life. And then for others of us, it's not busyness, it's not comfort, it's not ambition, it's not control, it's not unbelief, it's just pride. I can do this on my own. We lack the humility and brokenness to know that we need the Spirit to do this in us. And But for some of us in our spirituality, whether you recognize it or not, it's a lot of times unconscious or subconscious, we're trying to make the Christian life work ourselves. We don't know that God doesn't meet us in our weakness and our brokenness, and that's where he meets us. We are trying to figure it out in our strength. But for all of us, I would say it's not busyness, comfort, ambition, control, unbelief, and pride. I think it's just shame. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is something's wrong with me. I'm not enough. And anything, anything like me, you know, you've been a Christian for a while, and you're like, why can't I figure this out? Why aren't I experiencing God's love more? Why is it always so distant for me? Why do I feel so disconnected? Maybe these folks got it figured out, but maybe something's wrong with me. And so we walk around this shame. And even in an awesome church like this that's grace-centered, don't we feel the need to put up pretense that we got our act together that we're walking with Jesus really well, and then we'll go to one of these little small groups, and everyone's kind of got a good face on, and what's going on? Suddenly you're going, okay, they got it working. I don't. Something's wrong with me. And so what happens is our deepest parts haven't been changed by the power of the gospel. It hasn't eradicated that shame that seems to just walk around on us and cling all over us. What is it for you? Take 10 seconds. What creates the problem for spiritual renewal for you? Own it. Take it to Jesus. Ask him to eradicate it. As we think about the paradigm of spiritual renewal, when we look at the problem, I'm really grateful that Paul gives us a little bit of a practice here. He gives us certain practices to deal with spiritual renewal in our life. The first thing, really quickly, is you see honesty. There's real authenticity in this passage. Paul himself is going, I got to pray for this. I really need this. Matter of fact, we should all pray for this because this is the only way we're going to experience it. Let me go first. I need spiritual renewal in my life. I don't care if you're a minister of the gospel and you work for Tim Keller or you just became a Christian last week. We all need spiritual renewal. I need it. I'm in a season right now where I'm kind of dry. I'm, it's, it's not as bad as walking through the motions. He does kind of show up a little bit here and there, but it's not where I want it to be. What about you? Secondly, it's not just honesty, it's humility. Paul Mealy says, Father, there's a posture of dependence in this prayer. We, we need the Father to do this for us. Third, it's a prayer. It's actually one of those prayers you're supposed to emulate and model and kind of pattern into something that's personalized. But fourth, you see there's a posture of repentance here. Verse 14, it says, I bow. Now, that doesn't really mean much to our modern ears. Back then, if you prayed, you, you prayed standing. That, that's what you did. That was the practice of the church. You would stand. So for you to bow, that's like doubling down. That's like, I'm really, really serious. This is like, earnest prayer. 
So it's honesty, it's humility, it's prayer, it's repentance, and it's community. Look at verse 18, with all the saints. This isn't something you do in your quiet place. This is something we all do together and beg God for together. Does that make sense? Now think about all the things you do together. Think about the things you do with your friends. Think the things you do in your small group. When's the last time you got on your knees, held hands, and begged God to make the gospel come alive? That's what Paul's telling us to do in this passage. But then the sixth thing I want to mention here is he calls us to meditate. Again, to grasp, to comprehend. So Tim once said this, and I just I think it's the best definition of meditation I've ever seen. Meditation is thinking a truth in and then thinking a truth out until the idea becomes big and sweet and moving and affecting until that reality of God is sensed in the heart. You think it in and then you think it out until it becomes real and all-consuming. That takes time. In a city that's just assaulting you all the time, you don't feel like you have that kind of time. But if we're going to experience the love of Jesus, it requires us to get in that place where we think it in and think it out until it takes over. So where's the power for this? It's kind of overwhelming, right? There's this high bar for what spiritual renewal is. Paul doesn't water it down. We know what the problem is, and it's actually multifaceted for all of us. Okay, and then we see the practices of it in this passage. How do we do this? The good news, look at verse 17. Being rooted and grounded in love. There's objective realities to you. For those of you who follow Jesus and know him, you're already rooted and grounded in him. Now, there's two metaphors being used here. One's botanical and one's architectural. On the botanical side, you are all literally rooted into Jesus, lean into your roots, soaking in his love. On the architectural side, he is the foundation of your life. You're a building that's supremely planted on him. He wants you to lean into that foundation and know that the surety and the safety and the bedrockness of who he is. At the risk of telling a story I told about three years ago when I preached here, probably the last time I preached here, there's no better story I know to share than my uh, relationship with a guy named Mike McMichael because he personified this for me. When I was a church planner in 2002 in Chapel Hill, uh, I recently moved back from seminary. I was so excited to go back home and plant a church in downtown because most of the churches were all around the suburbs and very few churches were in the city for the city. And very few churches really cared about the city, but I did. It was my hometown. So there I was playing a church. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I know you're trying to reach all these cool, upwardly mobile young professionals and stuff, but there's this guy I'd love for you to visit. Uh, uh, he has diabetes. He's starting to lose his ability to walk. He's starting to lose his ability to see. I think there's something wrong with his wife, but they want to know about Jesus. Would you go visit them? I'm like, yes, absolutely. So I went to visit Mike McMichael, and I discovered this dear man. He was on dialysis every night. He was losing his feet, but he, he wanted to talk about Jesus. And so for the next five years, I visited him every Wednesday. 
We read seven books of the Bible. We read Mere Christianity. I can't tell you how many things we read together. And at one point, we started having the same conversation over and over and over. And I realized God was at work, and I was just waiting for him to come to faith. But then I started learning his story slowly but surely as he began to trust me. You see, years before, um, Mike was at work as an engineer, computer software guy, and his parents came into town. And his parents took his wife and his three beautiful kids out to dinner to get pizza. So they crammed into the minivan and they started driving. And on the way to get pizza, a milk truck ran through a red light, slammed to the minivan, and they all died instantly. Mike lost his entire family, his parents, his wife, and his kids in an instant. Now, Mike got really depressed, so depressed that he had to be institutionalized. And I kind of get that. That actually makes sense to me. If that happened to my wife and kids, I think I'd be paralyzed for a while as well. But sadly, while Mike was in this institution, this woman preyed upon him, and they ended up forming a relationship, and they got married, and she was a paranoid schizophrenic. And by the time I started visiting him, she was off her meds, and my gosh, was she crazy. So there was Mike, for whatever reason, wanting to learn about Jesus, He was losing his legs. I actually watched him lose one of his legs. He was losing his sight, and he had a paranoid woman that was married to him um, harming him in his life. One afternoon, I was hanging out with Mike, and it dawned on me that he had become a follower of Jesus. The reason it dawned upon me is he he just looked at me and said, Rue, it's not right. I'm like, what's not right, Mike? It's not right that Jesus would have to die for me. He's perfect, he's good, he's great, I'm vile, I'm messed up. It's just, it's unjust for God to love me. I'm like, whoa, Mike, you're, you're a follower of Jesus now. He's like, no, I'm not. You really are. He's like, no, I'm not. Only Christians feel this tension. He's like, no. I was like, no, no, look, okay. can I ask you some questions? And he's like, sure. And I remember going, I don't even know what questions to ask. So I was like, let's try and make stuff. It's like, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yes. Do you believe he died for you? Yes. Do you believe he, like, let's just start asking the entire Apostles' Creed in subsequent questions, right? I was like, I'm so glad I'm a Presbyterian minister. I know what to ask here. And so at the end of it, I was like, I think you're a follower. He's like, wow, I guess I am a Christian. But Rue, it's still not right. I'm like, I know, Mike, it's not right. Best thing that happened is uh, a bunch of us in the church were loving on Mike by this point. And we really wanted him to come to go to worship. And it was the only time he ever did go to worship. But we had a team of five people, and they helped him in his wheelchair, and we helped him into the church building. And it was communion time, and I kept inviting him, like, beforehand. I was like, come on, Mike. You're a follower of Jesus. You need this meal. Let's do this. Best day of my ministerial life was watching Mike come up the aisle and being able to serve him the bread and the blood of Jesus. Highlight of my life. Just watching this man go from death to life. Now think about this. Mike had every reason not to love Jesus. Mike had every reason to hate God. But that man, that man was lost in the love of Jesus. Here's what I learned from Mike. He was a father in the faith to me. On one level, he could describe a fire, a roaring fire of all the things that went wrong in his life. And compared to the rest of us, he wins. He lost 
all his resources. He lost his wife and his family, his kids, his parents. He was losing his sight. He couldn't walk anymore. And it's a fire. And that fire could have consumed him in all his attention. But he chose to warm himself by another fire. Instead of thinking about the injustices done, injustices of his life, he rather thought and meditated on the injustice of the cross. And that fire burned brighter in his life. See, when he lived in this space, he wasn't sure about Jesus. When he lived in this space, he, he was lost in love and wonder that that God, that glorious God, would die for him. He meditated on the fire of the gospel, and it gave him a radiant faith, an experience of God's love that transcended dying in a hospital. One of his last days of life, I went to visit him. It was so painful for me to visit him in the hospital. I went because I loved him. But watching him wither away and die was one of the more challenging things I've ever experienced. So there, there was a bunch of us. We came together, and we're laughing with Mike. He's on a ventilator at this point. And then when he saw me, his eyes kind of sparkled, and he kind of waved me over a little bit, and I kind of walked over right to his bed. And I was like, hey, what's going on, Mike? He had a little twinkle in his eye, and he pulled off the mask, and, he's, and he smiled, and he said, Rue, so what, Mike? It's not right. What's, what's not right, Mike? He said, it's not right that God would die for me. And there he was on his deathbed, preaching the gospel to me. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3 Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi. 